Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and today I'm interviewing Alyssa Kewen, who has a doctorate in physical therapy, and she is also an osteoarthritis specialist. We're going to talk about everything osteoarthritis, when it comes to exercises, recommendations, sleep, diet, you name it, we talk about it. You can find more information about her at her YouTube channel, which is Arthritis Adventure. So without further ado, here's Alyssa. Well, welcome to the podcast, Alyssa. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. So you are kind of an expert in osteoarthritis. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and how you became fascinated in this subject? Yes. So I am a physical therapist by trade. Um, I graduated PT school and started working as a home health physical therapist, which I went into people's houses and particularly helped them after total knee and hip replacements. And by doing so, I got to see a lot of the journeys that people had encountered with osteoarthritis. I was working in a very rural area where resources were limited to medical information. People lived miles and miles away from doctors. And so I got to know, of course, going into their houses and talking with them, I got to know a little bit about what they've gone through and what their journey had looked like. And I was astonished at how many people I was the first physical therapist they'd ever met. I met people who had basically completely given up any movement, completely given up exercise, had been dealing with the debilitating pain for 10 to 15 years to the point where they were then isolated to their homes at 60, 70. I mean, these people were dealing with so much pain and felt like they had no other option besides surgery. And a lot of people went into surgery prematurely. A lot of people didn't have the strength. They didn't have the reduction in inflammation. They didn't have the reduction in irritation that would lead to a successful surgery. So there were some people who did really well with it, although others weren't prepared for the recovery. They didn't see the success they were looking for. And so I got to thinking like I was seeing these people way too late. I was seeing these people after they already had surgery. So I started to figure out how can I get to these people sooner? How can I get them the information that they need? How can I get them what the research is saying is try conservative management, which is essentially non-surgical interventions, exercise, diet, et cetera, because a lot of these people had no idea those things would be helpful. And so then it kind of just kickstarted me on this journey of education and providing workouts and bringing the positive side to osteoarthritis, because a lot of times it's a lot of doom and gloom and it's very negative. You can't do this, avoid this, et cetera, which can lead people down a path of isolation, debilitating pain, et cetera. So I kind of started this journey, dove into the research, started treating people where I am now in Utah, and it's just kind of taken off from there. So you have a YouTube channel. Do you want to tell our audience what it is? Yes. So if you search my name, Dr. Alyssa Kewen, you will find my channel. You can also search Arthritis Adventure and you can find it there as well. And your videos are all PT related, but you also have a lot of arthritis follow along videos, right? For exercises. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of have a little bit of both tips and tricks because the more, you know, the, I feel like the more motivated you are, if you know why you're doing something, know why you're doing a specific exercise and know what to expect as far as pain and those sorts of things. 
I think that the exercises and the workouts go a lot better and you have more success with them. So we kind of have a combination of both. Yeah, that's no, a good idea. We, we have a following channel too, but we, we threw her on another page now. We kicked her off. Yeah. <laughs> she was getting too popular for us. <laughs> anyway, we'll start getting into osteoarthritis a little bit. So can you explain what osteoarthritis is and how it affects the joints? Yes. So it's a condition of the joints. And basically, it's characterized by some symptoms. So there's not a particular test you can take to say, yes, you have it or no, you don't. It's kind of a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning they rule out a couple of other things first. So sometimes they may test for rheumatoid arthritis. Sometimes they may take x-rays or MRIs to see what's going on in your joint to maybe rule out a meniscus tear or something like that. But osteoarthritis is really classified by a couple of main symptoms, although I kind of think of it as like a grab bag. And if you have osteoarthritis, sometimes you just kind of grab a couple of the symptoms and you don't always have all of them. So sometimes if one person has osteoarthritis and then another person does as well, you may present a little bit differently. So I think that that's important to realize. But really it's stiffness in the morning. But the stiffness in the morning tends to alleviate with movement. So you might notice that you wake up feeling stiff, but as you get up and start moving around, it starts to diminish. That's kind of one of the biggest ones. And it usually goes away in about 30 minutes or so. The next one is pain. So you may experience joint pain. And osteoarthritis typically tends to affect larger joints knee, hip, spine. Of course, you can also have it in your hands, smaller joints. You can have it in your ankle, but it is more common in those larger joints. But one of the things to think about is it usually starts on one side. So you start maybe to develop hip pain on one side, and then maybe it goes over to the other side or it goes to the knee or something like that. But a lot of times it originates on one side. Now, if the pain originates on both sides, then you're starting to look at some other diagnoses and there might also be something else going on. Sometimes rheumatoid arthritis will show up on both sides, a lot of times in the smaller joints. So another thing to look for is just if it originates on one side, it could potentially be osteoarthritis. But you also want to look at a couple of these other symptoms as well. Another one is swelling. Some people experience primarily knee swelling, but after a lot of activity, a lot of actually inactivity, so kind of both sides of the spectrum there, it can lead to swelling. Um, those are kind of the three main symptoms. You may also have some instability where it feels like your joint's going to kind of give way. A lot of times, again, in the hip and the knee, we typically see that. And then just stiffness after sitting for a while, typically, or a period of prolonged immobility. This can depend on how severe it is. Sometimes people experience stiffness after sitting for 10 minutes. Some other people need to do be in a position for 30, 60, maybe two hours before they start to experience that stiffness. So those are kind of the global symptoms that you may experience. Now, if you're only experiencing, say, one of these, I wouldn't necessarily start freaking out that you have osteoarthritis. Usually, again, they kind of take the global picture in mind. 
Now, with that being said, one caveat in how to kind of open up the dialogue with a doctor or a healthcare professional that you're seeing, if somebody's just simply looking at what your x-ray says or what your MRI says, saying loss of cartilage or, you know, your bone on bone, et cetera, without going into some of these other symptoms, that won't necessarily diagnose osteoarthritis. I think that typically tends to be a common fashion that a lot of people get to the diagnosis. They see an x-ray or an MRI. Oh, you have osteoarthritis, you need surgery. But we have to look at some of these other symptoms because those images don't always indicate that you're going to have severe pain and that you need an x-ray or that you need surgery because one person can have an x-ray that looks like you have absolutely no cartilage left, your joints bone on bone, but they don't experience any pain. Whereas another person could have the same exact x-ray, but be in very severe pain. So it's more than just what your x-ray or MRI shows. And surgery can be an option when it comes to osteoarthritis, but it's not the only option. So when you're looking at kind of a diagnosis and going down that route, we have to look at the global picture. And then I'm sure we'll get into it later, but there are some other things that can contribute to pain that can help as far as pain reduction goes, that surgery is not the only option. So our audience is a layperson, and many of them know arthritis and probably didn't know there's a difference. Would yeah. you mind quick explaining what rheumatoid arthritis is? Yeah. So rheumatoid arthritis is a type of arthritis. And when people typically say like, I have knee arthritis or I have hip arthritis, they're typically talking about osteoarthritis. Now, rheumatoid arthritis has a couple of different factors associated with it. So it's an autoimmune condition. So it has a couple of other systemic symptoms or full body symptoms. And again, it's going to depend on your personal experience with it because not everyone has the same exact symptoms, but you're looking at again, bilateral. So pain on both sides, but you're also looking at some other things that you may experience fatigue, you may experience fever, your joints might be hot and warm, you may experience morning stiffness, but it typically tends to last a little bit longer. So if you're experiencing some of these other symptoms, like full body symptoms, that could potentially point to rheumatoid arthritis. So getting back onto topic of osteoarthritis, what are some common risk factors for developing it? So Genetics plays a part, not as big of a part, I think, as people think. So you're not necessarily doomed because somebody in your family had it or had a knee replacement or something like that. There are some modifiable risk factors as well, because you obviously can't modify your genetics. But I think it's more important to focus on these modifiable risk factors, meaning something you can change because there's no sense in dwelling on the things you can't change. So osteoarthritis tends to develop not just from wear and tear. And you may have been told this before that because you used your joints or you used your muscles too much when you were younger, or when you were at work, working a manual job, whatever it is, that was kind of the old thinking about osteoarthritis. And the reason why I think this new research is exciting 
is because it basically gives you an option to find pain relief. It tells you that there's something you can do about it. Because if you're told you have wear and tear, your cartilage is gone. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. That's what it insinuates because you can't regrow cartilage, unfortunately. But inflammation also plays a part in osteoarthritis because back to that x-ray example okay so if it's not wear and tear if two people have the same exact x-ray basically showing that they have no cartilage why does one person have pain and the other person doesn't it's not made up or in their head it's actually looking at this low-grade chronic inflammation and inflammation has been kind of a buzzword that's thrown around lately but some of the things that contribute to increased inflammation and thus increased irritation inside of your joint are common things you may have heard of about exercise actually can reduce inflammation. A lot of people think exercise makes osteoarthritis worse, but it can actually improve it. The right type of exercise though. So, and then another one is so weight can play a part as well. The more weight that you have, the more fat tissue that you carry, the higher your levels of inflammation likely are. Sleep plays a part as well. If you're not getting good quality sleep, your inflammation levels can rise and you can actually be more sensitive to pain. Your stress levels. This one tends to be a little bit surprising to people that the more stress you're under, your inflammation can increase, thus increasing the irritation of your joint. Those are kind of a couple of the big players when it comes to it. And I would say probably one of the biggest, aside from exercise or regular movement, is food. So the types of foods you're eating, you'll see a lot of these foods are inflammatory. These foods are anti-inflammatory. And when it really comes down to it, it's just feeding your body quality nutrients, feeding your body quality whole foods. So you don't necessarily have to perseverate on these foods I should absolutely avoid because they're inflammatory. These foods I should, you know, eat a bunch because they're anti-inflammatory. Instead, it's just feeding your body those quality fruits, vegetables, lean meats, quality sources. And that can really play a part in reducing inflammation as well. Of course, kind of the more obvious things, the things that you know aren't great for you are also likely not great for inflammation. So sugary sodas and things, processed sugar. I mean, those things that you know already aren't doing very good things to your body. So those things likely aren't doing very good things to inflammation either. Sure. No, I get it. When I used to eat more crappy food, I was way more sore after working yes. out. I don't have osteoarthritis, but I was just way more sore. Yeah. When, when you clean up your diet, yeah, your inflammation's way better and you're not nearly as sore from muscle recovery. And that's so. the good thing too about these factors is also looking at a lot of these things, food, sleep, exercise, not only do they help osteoarthritis in particular, but they also help so many other chronic conditions and they just make you feel better too. So you're kind of killing a lot of birds with one stone by focusing on a lot of these modifiable risk factors. And then that can truly help likely almost every aspect of your life. Yeah. So the next question kind of correlates, but if you have more to elaborate on it, so how can someone prevent or slow down the progression of osteoarthritis? So it kind of goes back to these factors again, that just because you have osteoarthritis does not mean you're doomed. It does not mean surgery is inevitable, even though a lot of people make you think that. Focusing on these factors can make a very big difference. 
a lot of the research is pointing to trying these conservative measures first in a consistent effort. So the hard part with these factors is you may not see results right away or may not see results as quick as we would like to. But focusing on one of these aspects. So if you think about just out of the top three, movement, the types of foods you're eating, and let's just say sleep. Those are kind of the three big players. If you think about your current life, your current situation, which one would you say is the the one that's affecting you the most? So say you know you could probably afford to move more than you do now, or you're very sedentary. Focusing on movement, just incorporating five to 10 minutes of movement can be very helpful. And I know when you're in pain, movement may feel like the last thing you want to do. But I have tons of videos on my YouTube channel bringing in some of that gentle movement. Even if you're bone on bone, you've been told you have the joint of an 80 year old, there are movements that can feel good. It's just the fact of finding those. But if you think about those three areas, think about which one may need the most help. And that's what to focus on. Instead of focusing on all three, pick one. Say if it's food, I'm going to incorporate one more serving of vegetables than I usually do. You likely will start to notice a difference. One, because maybe you won't start to eat all of those bad foods. And two, it just will start to get you into a habit of eating a little bit better. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe you stay up all night watching a show or reading a book or I know pain can wake you up sometimes as well, so that can be a little bit tricky, but there are some tips that can help with sleep as far as getting your body in a relaxation mode that can help improve sleep as well. Exercise sometimes does improve sleep as well because you're starting to get those joints moving, feeling perhaps a little bit more fatigued, feeling some pain relief, then you're able to sleep better. So if you just think about one of these, especially when you're looking at slowing down the progression of it, Focus on one and then progress from there. Yeah, a lot of people have the all or nothing mentality and it works for some people, but most people get kind of burnt out on that. So Exactly. And I know that people do that likely out of a space of I want pain relief, so I'm going to try everything. And when it really comes down to it, you need these factors, you need to create these habits for life. And so if you do that all or nothing thing, likely it's not going to be sustainable. So we're looking for sustainability, not just getting this quick boost of relief. All right. So next question, what are some exercises or physical activities that are safe and beneficial for people with osteoarthritis? So I know a lot of people may make you think that there are certain movements to avoid or certain activities to avoid when in reality, because you have osteoarthritis, there's not necessarily anything you need to avoid. So it's not like this safe, unsafe table of movements. It's are your joints ready for that? Yes, if you have knee arthritis, you can squat, you can go up and down stairs. A lot of people are told to simply avoid those things. But you need to do it in a way that's going to feel good. Of course, if your knee is hurting, dropping down to a squat right then and there may not feel great. But how does sitting down in a chair and then standing up feel? How does holding onto a kitchen counter, squatting down just as low as is comfortable and standing up? Odds are that will feel a little bit better. So it's not necessarily 
there are things you should avoid. It's there are things you need to prepare for. And running, for example, running can be possible if you have osteoarthritis. But are your joints ready for it? Do you have single leg strength? Do you have single leg balance? Do you have the muscle endurance to support that movement? So it's all about starting where you're at, whether that's you can only tolerate seated movements right now. Great. Let's start doing some like just kick sitting there. Let's start raising up your heels and then raising up your toes when you're sitting down. Very simple things. In standing, we want to look at moving in different directions, sideways and backwards, because we live our lives primarily in a forward position. And when you're constantly moving forward, you're starting to neglect some of the muscles that are important to stabilize the joints, but don't get a lot of use if you're not moving in those directions. So it's simply just thinking if there's a certain movement you want to be able to do, walking, cycling, running, it's how can I prepare my joints for that? And I have some direction on my YouTube channel as far as a lot of those activities go, walking faster, being able to walk without limping. There are certain movements that are going to help you get there. But instead of thinking about a list of movements, if we think about how can you prepare your joints for these activities, then that is kind of a better way to approach it. And how can you move in ways that your joints actually like? So are there any ways you would suggest people preparing their joints? So it one depends on where your pain is. Um, that's going to depend a couple of on a couple of the say seated movements or standing movements. Like for example, if you have hip arthritis, doing just a standing march where you're lifting one leg and then the other may not be effective for you because a lot of times with hip arthritis, it hurts to actually lift your leg. So in that instance, we can look at some sidestepping. A lot of times for knee arthritis hip arthritis, and even back arthritis, walking backwards, safely, of course, can actually be a way to relieve pain when you're walking. Um, focusing on balance can be a can play a large role as well. If you have hip, knee, ankle, or foot arthritis in particular, can be extremely beneficial for practicing balance. So it really depends on where your pain is, but then also what type of pain you're in. Is it very severe? If it's very severe, I would recommend just doing some simple seated things. And I have some um, examples of some chair yoga and just some gentle things on my YouTube channel. And then I also have some standing movements, whether you have knee arthritis, hip arthritis, you're looking to improve mobility, you're looking to improve strength or balance. So it really depends on your goal and then how severe your pain is and where it is when you're looking at what type of movements are going to be beneficial. Because a lot of times if you just search on YouTube and you find these movements, you may actually end up flaring up your pain if they're not targeted towards joint pain or they're not targeted towards perhaps where your joint is or where your joint pain is. Right. Yeah. It's going to be very individualistic for each person. And Proper warm-up, I would say, is essential. You don't want to start doing plyometrics right away if you have osteoarthritis. Yes. Odds are you probably aren't going to be doing plyometrics <laughs> to begin with anyways, although you yeah. can get there. So jumping, like I said, jumping, running, those higher impact things are possible. 
It's just being able to prepare your joint for that. Um, so I think a lot of times what people have a hard time with is if they come from a very active background, whether that's working out in the gym or that's playing sports, et cetera, it can be hard to slow down and accept like an easier workout like a workout that's fully seated or a workout that's just lightly working on balance and things. But I always tell people, especially in the beginning, if movements are easy and workouts feel easy, that's okay. You have to accept the movements that actually make your joints feel good. If you're constantly pushing yourself and pushing yourself and feeling worse after movement than when you started, that's an indication likely that what you're doing is not quite what you need. Yeah, it's better to judge your workout like hours later to see if it's actually causing pain because sometimes it doesn't happen initially. Sure. And that can be a hard part too. Um, you don't experience pain right away, so you keep going, but then you end up flaring it up later. So that's something to just kind of reflect on and say, if that happens, what did I change? Or did I try some new movements? Did I do more of something? So that way you can know for next time on potentially how to avoid that. So the next subject is talking about foods and supplements. So are there anything that can help improve your joint health? I know we touched on food a little bit already, but. So whole foods and things, again, going back to that, really just focusing on the quality of your diet. That can be a big part. I mean, really just improving the amount of fruits and vegetables that we're eating. Probably 95% of us could benefit from a little bit more of those foods. Protein can play a big part as well. So making sure that you're getting an adequate amount of protein. For a lot of older women, protein can be a little bit more challenging. So that can be something that can really help with satiety, meaning you're not going to be as hungry as often. You're not going to feel like you have to eat as much. Um, so those are just a couple of things. As far as supplements go, it's a widely unregulated field. Um, there's some research regarding certain supplements for osteoarthritis. I think the interesting thing is a lot of the research is done solely just from taking supplements, meaning the people in the study are really the only thing they've changed is the supplements they're taking. But I think supplement should be something that does exactly that supplement an active life supplement these other modifiable risk factors that we mentioned. So the research is it's hard to measure a lot of those things when you have different variables like that. But I would like to see studies on how these supplements work. If you include exercise, if you include prioritizing your sleep, if you include this healthy diet, because I think a lot of people take supplements thinking it's going to be a magic pill that they start taking something. And then all of a sudden their pain is reduced. Now, sometimes that can happen in what's called a placebo effect, meaning it's more in your thinking it's working versus what it's actually doing. And that's, of course, not a bad thing. Either way, you're getting some results. So that's great. A lot of times supplements are inexpensive, so they can be worth a shot. Um, some common ones people take are turmeric, um, gluc uh, glucosamine and chondritin, um, fish oil, those tend to be kind of the common uh, supplements for osteoarthritis. But you also need to look at the other habits that you're doing. So controlling your food, looking at getting more quality nutrients, getting more movement to get more out of those supplements. And a lot of times people take 
a ton at once. Like they're taking all of these different supplements. And so it's hard to tell if they're working, if you have nine or 10 of them that you're taking. So again, or most, the most important thing is you want to make sure that you talk to your doctor before starting anything, especially if you're taking certain medications, but supplements, you can go down a rabbit hole spending a lot of money from promises you read online. When in reality, looking at some of these modifiable risk factors may bring a much better benefit than taking supplements, especially when you're just getting started. Yeah, I know glucosamine chondroitin was, uh, it's shown like to slow down the rate of osteoarthritis, but it's if you already have good, healthy bones. So if you already have osteoarthritis, it doesn't really help. So, and again, it's just the research is most of the time done in short periods of time. So they don't necessarily follow up long-term which also is an indication of it's just, it's really, we don't know if they work Um, and it's going to be dependent on you, you know, the things you have going on, if it's going to work for you. Now, of course, some, some people swear by certain supplements because they work for them. And that's great. If you can find something that is going to bring you that relief, but that's not likely the best place to start putting your effort, especially in the beginning. Yeah, it's like putting a Band-Aid and you're not fixing the root cause of it. Yeah. All right, next question. What are some common misconceptions about osteoarthritis that you would like to clear up? So the big one we already kind of mentioned was wear and tear. And it's looking at not just there's nothing I can do about it, but what, again, can I prioritize and how can I start reducing inflammation from other areas of life, because odds are there is something in your life that's contributing to your inflammation. And there are a lot of other factors. And we've only mentioned probably five or six of them. There are some other things that also can contribute to inflammation. And the good part is, is that if you reduce inflammation, you'll see a reduction in pain. You'll see a reduction in stiffness you'll see a reduction in the amount of time you need to recover from something, say a flare up or um, just going out and overdoing it. So it's looking at the reduction in inflammation. And that's again, why I mentioned earlier to open up the dialogue that if you were told it's because wear and tear and you need surgery and your x-ray shows this, you can open up and say, are there any other areas I can try first? whether that's physical therapy, whether that's talking to a dietitian, whether that's maybe talking to a therapist, if you have a lot of stressful things going on in your life, you can open up and ask about other options besides just accepting surgery as your only option. Because even if you, again, even if you have severe bone on bone arthritis, surgery is not your only option. Research recommends you at least try conservative management because of course, There are times when surgery is going to be appropriate, but a lot of people hop right to that instead of, I like to say, stopping in the middle. If you think about a continuum of, okay, I'm here and I have osteoarthritis and surgery is on the other end, I like to think about it as stopping in the middle. Take time to stop in the middle for six months or, you know, usually three to six months is kind of the, um, the recommended time to try these conservative management. And again, it's being consistent, not just eating well one day and then the rest of the week kind of derails and then you eat 
okay, one day again, it's being consistent with it, that once you stop in the middle, then if you have to move on to surgery, you're much more prepared for surgery with more strength and reduction in inflammation and can continuing to build mobility and improve on mobility, surgery is going to likely go a lot better for you. Except if you go right to surgery, we may not, we may have missed out on a lot of opportunities to help you succeed in surgery. So either way, stopping the middle and looking at some of these things, you can't lose. I mean, you're either going to be more prepared for surgery or you're going to avoid, prolong, or prevent surgery. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Just one other one would be you can only swim, you can only bike, you can only walk for exercise. A lot of people are thrown into this category. And the one thing I don't like about this is it basically starts to feed into a fear that you cannot do any of those things again. I have people who are told to avoid stairs when you really can't avoid stairs or people that are told to avoid squatting. Uh, if you're never going to sit down again, if you're never going to get into a car again, if you're never going to go to the bathroom again, then yes, you probably could avoid squats, but you cannot avoid them in your daily life. And so it feeds into then a fear. If you're told avoid squats, but then you go to sit down to go to the bathroom. Am I making my arthritis worse? Is my knee getting worse? Is my hip getting worse? It starts to feed into that. So variety is absolutely the key. You cannot just do one activity over and over and over again and likely see relief. Yes, if you cycle, you may feel your knee is looser. You may feel your hip is looser. You may feel your back is maybe a little bit looser. Or if you're walking, you might feel a little bit better afterwards, but that's not going to help with this long-term pain relief. You have to build the strength. You have to challenge balance. You have to challenge these different movement directions. And if you're just walking, you're likely not doing those things. And if you're just cycling, you're likely not doing those things. And so it's looking at it in a sense of how can I move in different ways? How can I add in variety? And it can be scary when you're told to avoid these things. And so it is okay to do other movements. But again, you have to look at some of those right movements for your body. Do what feels good to you. And I think that that's really important that you don't have to just be thrown into a box of you can't ever do high impact exercise again. You can't ever run. You can't ever walk long distance. You can do those things. Again, it's just coming back to you. How can you prepare your joints for it? I think that statement encompasses your channel name, Arthritis Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can open the doors to adventure. It's just figuring out basically how to do that, which is kind of where my business has stemmed from in the beginning. Yeah. And I think it's important when you're talking about surgery, there's a handful of people that have surgery and they're out of pain after having osteoarthritis. But then like five years later, they're having pain in the same area again. And oftentimes that's due to some type of habit or muscle imbalance. So the muscles in the area can still be kind of tight and compensating. So you're still having pain. So it's good to address these things from a mobility and flexibility standpoint as well. Sure. Absolutely. Those muscle imbalances are definitely something to address. Like if one side is weaker than the other, or maybe you have certain muscles that feel tighter, surgery is not going to help that. Um, largely for the most part, it's because it's due to a compensation that you've been making. And so that's why even if you do have surgery, the recovery is extremely important. And you have to be very, very diligent about that in order to get the most out of the surgery.
Yeah, I think a lot of people neglect that part, unfortunately. Well, and I think it's also a large part of maybe they're not really expecting all of this. I think sometimes people aren't given all of the information, like the pre like I love when people do like classes and things of like what to expect and that sort of thing, because I think a lot of times there's not an expectation that they're going to have to be doing PT or they're going to have to be doing exercises three times a day for weeks and weeks. Um, so I think that also plays into a part, of course, there is, you know, a lack of adherence and that sort of thing, but it's also setting up the realistic expectation. Uh, one of the things that you should absolutely be asking your surgeon is, okay, what do I need to be doing after? What do I need to be expecting? How long do I have to keep up with the movements, etc.? So you really have a clear picture of what it's going to take. Sure. No, it's a good idea. Okay, next question. How could someone manage pain or discomfort associated with osteoarthritis? So there's a couple of different things. There's kind of a heat ice debacle of which is better. And really, it comes down to a personal preference. I kind of like to think about the heat and ice situation as if you're feeling stiffness, muscle tightness, heat tends to work a little bit better, whether that's a heating pad, a hot bath, a hot shower, etc. Ice tends to help because it really just kind of numbs the pain sensors. So if you're having high levels of pain, ice can help to reduce that. Another thing is gentle movement. So say you're experiencing knee pain, depending on how high that pain is and what you're able to tolerate, simply just kicking one leg out and the other leg out alternating in a seated position can be helpful. If you're laying down, just slowly bending one leg up and then the other, those types of gentle movements can be really helpful to get the blood flowing and can actually help to reduce pain, especially pain at night. A lot of times people go through like a very simple routine of two or three movements and that can really help too. Um, I am a big component or I am a big um, advocate for topical ointments because say something like Voltaren or Biofreeze, again, it's finding what works best for you. Some people respond best to some and others feel nothing. Um, again, it's a, a inexpensive. A lot of them are over the counter, but they have much less side effects than medications. A lot of them, of course, you want to make sure that you're still being cleared by a doctor, especially if you have like a neuropathy or you have some condition that affects your skin um, or if you're taking other medications because that topical ointment is soaking into your skin. So it can get into the bloodstream. So you do want to make sure that you're cleared for those, but those can be kind of an easy way to reduce pain um, in a way that doesn't bring all the side effects that a lot of medications do. Um, so that could be something to explore as well. Another one is, I guess, light massage. So you can just kind of do it yourself. If your hip is hurting or your knee is hurting or your ankle's hurting, just some very light massage can be helpful to get that blood flowing to the area or compression can also be helpful. A lot of, for in particular, the knees or the ankles, you can get a compression garment. So a compression sleeve or a compression sock that helps to really kind of support the joint, especially if you're dealing with a lot of swelling, compression can be really helpful. Um, 
So that can also help to inhibit some pain if you have some compression. So those are some things that can also be helpful um, while you're also building these habits of food and sleep and um, nutrition and all of that. Using some of these tips can be helpful to alleviate pain in the short term. Sure. Yeah, those are more like immediate pain relief. Yes. So my next question is a little long, so bear with me. Can you explain the role of assistive devices and orthotics in managing in managing arthritis symptoms, and how should someone determine which ones are right for them? So starting with assistive devices, um, there's canes, there's walkers. Those are kind of the big ones. Another one that I like to incorporate is hiking poles. Um, so if you take, for example... If you're limping um, when you're walking, I highly recommend doing what you need to to start accumulating more steps where you feel like you're walking normally. The more that you limp, the more you're feeding into compensations and the more that you're likely irritating certain muscles, certain parts of the joint, you're making other muscles work harder than they should be, etc. So sometimes people want to just get around because they can walk, maybe they're limping because they don't want to use a cane or they don't want to use an assistive device. And I get that. I mean, it's not something that people are, you know, desiring to use, but just in the short term, it can really help to alleviate pain, especially in the case of hip arthritis. So if you notice yourself limping, odds are you may need some sort of external help in the temporary to be able to relieve some of that pain. Hiking poles can also be really helpful. So say, for example, you notice you start limping, whether it's knee pain, hip pain, ankle pain, even um, back pain, spinal stenosis, having some external support as you're walking can be very beneficial. And if say you're one of those people that notices pain after walking a certain distance or walking on a certain surface, using hiking poles can be very helpful to add just a little bit of support. Now, they're not going to give as much support as, say, a cane. You can't really put weight through them because when you use hiking poles, they're out in front of you, but they can help to give you support and kind of add into a normal gait pattern. So those can also be a great option if you don't need a ton of support, but you're having trouble keeping your posture. Maybe you find yourself leaning forward a lot or you're having trouble limping after a certain distance. Those can be really helpful for that. Um, And then a walker, of course, if you really need support in standing, like if you have a hard time standing, that can be helpful um, just to give you, you can use your arms to support you. Um, If you find your knee is giving out or maybe your hip is giving out, a walker can help to avoid a fall just because you have that double arm support. Some people also use crutches in the same aspect um, to give that kind of double limb support. I think sometimes it's harder to walk normally with crutches. So you may kind of develop a little bit of a different gait pattern, Um, but crutches can also be an option. Uh, I usually like crutches a little bit more if you're non-weight bearing or you're not able to put full weight through a limb. Crutches can be a little bit more helpful in that regard, but there are some options for external support 
that can help to bring a normal gait pattern. So that's kind of what we're looking for is that normal gait pattern. And then what yeah. was the second part of that? Orthotics. Oh, research is kind of out on that. Um, some people do really well with orthotics. Other people have feel like they've tried six different orthotics and nothing has helped. I think one of the things with orthotics, though, is you can just become reliant on them and they can compensate for some of your foot muscles and some of the ways that your foot moves. So I don't particularly recommend orthotics really at all unless you're prescribed them from a podiatrist because of a certain condition or you have limited mobility somewhere. There can be sometimes a time and a place, but I think one of the things to look at is how to kind of strengthen your foot, how to strengthen your ankle, how to improve the mobility in those areas before you jump into orthotics. Yeah. Typically the stronger your foot is the less foot problems you're going to have. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the trekking hiking poles, mm -hmm. uh, so my mother had a hip replacement like three years ago. She's in her sixties, but she did everything beforehand. She actually saw Bob and Brad uh, here in town. But uh, yeah, she she liked hiking and she's stubborn and she still wants to do stuff. So she was completely fine using trekking poles. She would not touch a cane, <laughs> but she used them all the time. And now my uh, my dad uses them just hiking. He doesn't have pain. But my nephews yeah. my nephews think they're so cool. They're eight and five that they now have trekking poles too. Yes, so. I love it. And I sometimes even use trekking poles too, especially when it's fairly steep going down. Um, they can be really helpful just to kind of take some stress away um, and just help with balance, maybe on like really uneven terrain and things. So they can be really helpful and they carry, I guess, less of a stigma than like a cane or something like that. Um, so it can be beneficial. But again, if you're looking for more support, that likely may not be an option for you right now, but could be something you could look at once you start to build that strength and build that balance to be able to use less support when walking. Sure. All right. My last question is what advice would you give to someone who has recently been diagnosed with osteoarthritis? First is to find a couple of movements that feel good to you. And this could be movements you already do. This could be movements that maybe you were given from a PT. This could be movements that you find on my YouTube channel, finding a couple of different ways that you can move. And a big part of that, depending on how severe your pain is, sometimes I recommend just starting moving sideways and moving backwards because just simply adding in those two simple directions can be kind of surprising for pain relief. And it can be surprising sometimes how quickly your muscles fatigue. So like if you were to go try to move sideways, just simply stepping sideways for say a minute or two, you may start to feel fatigue because sometimes I feel fatigue even doing that. So it's kind of shocking how difficult that may feel to you. So I would recommend just trying to find a couple of movements at first to get into the habit of doing. The next one is just kind of looking at one of those three big players that we talked about in the beginning, looking at your exercise. So we already did that. Um, food and sleep. Figure out which one you could afford to focus on the most right now. 
and just start to make small changes. And I want you to really believe that this is not something that surgery is inevitable and there's nothing you can do. I think that's a big factor in the motivation, in following the plan, in doing, seeking out these things for inflammation is you have to believe you can change your pain. And you have to believe that you can do something about it. And a lot of times that's just educating yourself more on osteoarthritis. Aside from just reading articles on the internet and, you know, talking to family and friends, it's really finding credible sources that can give you the correct and accurate information than just a lot of even the articles online are wear and tear and it's doom and gloom and check out surgery and it's moving a little bit more into the direction of focusing on those modifiable risk factors, but truly it's, there is hope and you can make changes. It's just figuring out how to get started with that is the most difficult part. And so looking at those three factors and figuring out which one to focus on first, I think movement is an integral part for anyone. Um, and that's, avoiding too little movement, but it's also avoiding doing too much and stressing your joints. So there is a line to follow there, a balance between those. So I think if you focus on that movement piece right out of the gate and then look at food and sleep and which one you could start to focus on just a little bit more. So would you mind mentioning your website and YouTube channel again? Yes. So you can find out information. We just launched a brand new membership. Um, Keeptheadventureralive.com is my website. And then if you just search my name, so Dr. Alyssa Kewen or Arthritis Adventure on YouTube, you will find my channel. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. 